This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. We uh, will not see the Columbus Blue Jackets in action until tomorrow when they face off against the San Jose Sharks. Meanwhile, Columbus making headlines yesterday and into today as well after dismissing Yarmo Kekalainen as their general manager. The president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets is John Davidson. He is now the interim general manager as well. He adds that one to his business card. JD, thanks so much for doing this. I know it's a hectic time. Thanks for parking some time with me today. Not a problem. How are you, Jeff? Uh, I am doing well. I, I am. I am curious. Yeah. I was going to do a an over under on how many people have called you expressing interest in the in the position, yeah. but I'll just ask you how busy and how active has your phone been? It's been busy. It's been busy, and I think I can say that. Uh, with, with, the fact is that people would love to have the job. I mean, we're we're a franchise that has a lot of future that already belongs to us. Young players, really good mm-hmm. players that are getting there. So I think. People look at our situation and go, you know what? That might be a really good place to be. The city itself is a, it's an underrated, marvelous place. We have great ownership, so there's, there's really uh, a bunch of positives for people to take a look at it. I've had a lot of calls from people recommending people. I've had some calls from people mm-hmm. themselves. So it's, uh, it's active already, which is a good thing. Uh, would the prudent thing here to be uh, wait until the end of the season when you have the uh, ab- uh, ability and other player, other managers are more available um, for you to talk to them and or hire them? Like I don't think I don't get the sense, you know, judging from your press conference yesterday, that this is uh, this is a full court press. Any type of expediency needed here? This is it seems like one that's you're right. going to take your time with. I think that's fair to say, unless somebody just blows your socks off and you want to get them before somebody else does if there's other jobs even going to be available. So you just don't know. But I I think that uh, the reality is that we know what we have inside our organization. We have to look and do our business on the outside of the organization. And this takes some time. I'm working with uh, the the gentleman I report to, Mike Priest, and in conjunction we work with our ownership. So we're, we're going to roll a lot of rocks over and see what's underneath and see who's interested and see what uh, people have to offer to fit the mold uh, that we're looking for. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't think I can tell you that it might be done in two weeks or it could be done in, in uh, two and a half months. I, I can't tell you. I have no idea. So it, it's right. up in the air in that respect, but, uh, but we're certainly open to anything. You know, we, um, I mean, you've worked on this side before. We have uh, a lot of names that we wonder about too, but I'm, I'm kind of more interested, uh, JD, in what are the qualities that any potential manager needs to have for this job? As you mentioned, and as we all know, this is a team that is loaded with prospects, and the prospect yeah. pool is very, very deep. Um, also, there's a lot of key veterans on this team as well, and they can be sort of a, a balancing act sometimes. So mm-hmm. what type of qualities does any new general manager need to have to, to shepherd the, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets right now? Yeah, you know, you'd like to have somebody with experience, but that experience can come in a lot of different ways. It could be the experience of being a general manager or the experience of being an assistant general manager. I've seen, uh, you know, people come in who have been agents. There's a lot of different avenues uh, to get there, but you certainly want somebody that that, that we think can get you to the next level. And uh, that's that's one of the strong criteria that we're we're looking at somebody to get us to the next level because we do have um, a, a, a plate full of really good young people. And some of them are popping now. Mm-hmm. Some are close to popping. Some are going to pop. And you never know with young players. It could be some players pop after their first year. Some pop after their second year. You just don't know. But uh, somebody that's going to work, bring passion to the, to the, to the job itself, that uh, has really good, strong work habits, good connections, uh, talent evaluator, uh, bring people in that you may have to bring in and uh, and trust your people. Analytics is a part of the world that's a big part of the world now that you can certainly use, uh, not for every answer, but you can certainly use it to help yourself as as a group to get to the answer. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, and then, and then there's, there's a gut feeling too. Um, is, is that guy the right guy? Is he not the right guy? What happened when he was with a different organization? You just You just have to really go through this in a, in a very meticulous way and try not to make a mistake. This is a critical choice for us. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm, that I'm curious about is when you, 
when you make this hire in the back of your mind or maybe in the front of your mind for all that matter are you thinking <laughs> about whose time whose timeline are we doing this on like are we doing this on like are we re- rebuilding this team or redeveloping this team on the Wierenski timeline or on the Fantilli timeline or on the you know fill in the blank here like do you think that way like yeah. this is the timeline we need to pay attention to and compliment do you think like that well, let's put it this way. You, when you have a lot of good young prospects, you also need some veteran players to try to, to um, provide for sure. leadership for them, to, to do a lot of different things. When you talk about a Zach Wierenski, he's, he's just getting into his prime. So he's going to be a terrific player for a long time to come. A guy like Boone Jenner, who's our captain, he's getting better every, every year. And he's, he's, he's improved his skating. He's a confident goal scorer. He plays the game the right way. He goes into dirty areas. These are the types of guys that you need around your young guys. So it's it's a it's it's yeah. a it's a combination of a little bit of everything. You can't just go say, okay, we're rebuilding, we're going with all young guys, we're going to throw them out there and let them play, and whatever happens, happens. That's nuts for sure. That's just nuts. Yep. You you got to put young players in if you think they're ready. And some some of them, it's interesting. Some of the young players can come in and play really well, but then they're going to hit a wall. Whether it's a kid out of college who's never played such a long schedule or if it's a if it's a player who's got an immense amount of talent that can come in and play well but he's not strong enough physically and you sense he's hitting the wall then you have uh, we're in a great situation where our farm team is in the, the american league club is in cleveland which is two hours 20 minutes up the freeway and they play in the big building where the uh, the Cavs play and they put 10 12 000 people in there a lot of nights sometimes even more it's a great situation so we we uh, we're just going through this process. I, I said yesterday during the uh, during the uh, press conference that I watched an interview with the uh, Blue Jackets broadcaster Jeff Rimmer and the uh, the Vancouver Canucks head coach Rick Rick Tockett, and they got into some conversation about players and this and that and building a team. And, and Talk said something interesting. He said, "You know, the word process is used a lot." And there's people out there that get tired of hearing the word process. They say it's overrated, overused, it's over this, over that. He said, I think it's underused. And I think talks a thousand percent right. It's a process. It's a difficult process in a very difficult league. And when you're trying to to build a team, whether the process is working on defensive play or the process is developing a young player, uh, there's no, there's nothing's ever the same. Everything's different individually, but it's a process. And, and there's no set timeline. It takes time for the process to fall into place and, and work. And uh, that's what we're in the middle of right now. And I know there's been a lot of drama with our club this year in a lot of different ways, and that's factual. Um, our third periods that we blew in the, uh, a good significant part of the season has cost us more than anything. We're cleaning that up now as the process continues to work a little bit. So I, I get when people criticize our club for a lot of different things. That's just facts and i get it but there's other mm-hmm. things that just uh, simply aren't true and you've got to go through the process to get there um yeah you mentioned that there's been um drama around the blue jackets uh this year and you know this season specifically uh in season we've heard whether it's Merzlikens, whether it was you know Voronkov wondering whether he should go back home uh, to Russia or not whether it's uh recently with with david juracek as well i, I know there wasn't you know, J.D., one specific reason why Yarmo Kekalainen is no longer the general manager of the Blue Jackets, but how much of a contributing factor was that type of noise around the team to the ultimate decision to dismiss yeah, Yarmo? Uh, I, I, I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but I, I just think that when you go with your gut feeling and you think you need a change, you've got to turn the page, and that's basically what we did. Uh, I've known Yarmo for... Uh, at least 15 years. He was in his 11th season with the Blue Jackets. I knew him when he was running the amateur draft for the St. Louis Blues when I first went there. He's an honorable, hardworking, terrific guy. And um, he even took the the dismissal like a, like a pro. I mean, anything we need, he's going to help. He's just a classy guy. It's just the way it is. But sometimes you as a as a person in charge get the feeling that you just need that change, and that's exactly what we did. Now, regarding all those other things, each one of it, ha- each one of those things has its own answer. Baronkov came over for the first time. He doesn't speak a word of English, even though we have Russian teammates that help him. But he, he's he's he was a kid that got homesick, and that that happens. 
And so we went through the, mm-hmm. the process of getting him acclimated a little more. And sure enough, he's he's a happy as a clam right now, and he's playing his tail off. He has a great future. Um, Elvis, uh, everybody's saying he demanded a trade. Well, he did say something, and then he recanted. His agent said he he didn't mean to say that. He hasn't asked for a trade. So there, there's things... There's things here, the Eurocheck thing for me, um, and, and I think he's a good kid. He's going to be a very good player. He's in Cleveland right now because he has to play games. If you have defensemen on your team that the coaches are playing and David's not playing, you need him to play when you're 20 years of age. These are, these are for me, for me at least, simple answers. And, but, of course, in today's day and age and social media and everything else, People people can take a uh, situation and run with it and make it interesting, but but some of it uh, some of it is on us, no question. But a lot of this stuff is just noise for me. It's just nonsensical noise. Let me ask about Boone Jenner. Uh, you know, Elliot and I yeah. on the podcast that came out this morning, we were sort of going through okay, where where, where would Boone Jenner fit? And uh, obviously Columbus, but you know, other teams in and around <laughs> trade deadline, and yeah. we sort of came to the conclusion that there's probably not one team in the NHL where Boone Jenner doesn't fit. Uh, how right. often do people call on Boone Jenner? Quite often. Uh, I mean, I'm being very transparent. We get a lot of calls on Boone, but Boone's not going anywhere, and Boone doesn't want to go anywhere. That's another thing, too. I, I forget who it was. Somebody in in, uh, in your business that I used to be in has uh, made statements that a lot of young players don't want to be in Columbus. Every every situation has its own story, and and to say that, I, I think I'd, I'd have to vehemently disagree. Um, when you say you take a player like Boone Jenner, and he's been with us for a while now, He's our captain. He's getting better every year. To uh, to uh, to uh, take a guy like him and have him say he was just uh, interviewed the other day by Aaron Portsline, uh, the uh, beat writer for the Atlantic, or the Athletic, pardon me, in uh, in uh, Columbus. Yep. He just, he said, "I want to finish his career in Columbus." He says, "That'd be a great honor." He says, "I'm not going anywhere. I want to be part of the solution." And and we we I don't get calls uh, uh, people right now demanding to get out of Columbus. This is a wonderful place to play when you add in every bit of the, every bit of the situation. Johnny Goodrow came to us and, and uh, mm-hmm. sure. And we signed him. Uh, this season has been a slow start for him, but he's been very good most nights lately. Um, and I think he can, he can be a, a, a better player for us. And I, and I look forward to seeing that, but I, I just think that, when when you get involved with with um, our situation, the drama we've had, and everything else, the noise is is uh, it's understandable that there's going to be noise, but a lot of it is just malarkey. It's not even close to true. So I I, I don't listen to a lot of the noise, and and I don't uh, I just understand how the business works. Uh, last one for you, and I uh, thank you as always for your time, JD. How far away do you think this team is? But you talked, you know, yesterday at the press conference about you know take this team to the next level, uh, to take this team, take the next step. How far away do you think Columbus is? Because you know we came into this year all thinking, okay, this is Columbus's charge to to get into the playoffs in the Metropolitan. How far away is this team? Uh, I don't know. Um, that, that's a really good and fair question. I see how quickly Rick Tockett and Jim Rutherford have turned around Vancouver. Um, I, I think that our, if our young players keep popping, that's a, that's a key. We have Provorov and Severson who came over as defensemen. They had played their whole careers with one franchise. It's taken them a while. Um, I think they'll be better next year. I think Zach Wierenski going into next year will not have the, the immense amount of rust he had on him going into this season after hardly playing at all last season because of injury. It took them a while to get going. Um, our, our our third periods, if we have had, if we would have had decent third periods for the season, we, we'd be, I don't know how many more points we had, but we would have a lot more, I can tell you that. And that's something that's now turning around a little bit for us. So when, when I look at our club and I talk about the word process, it's not just this season. My hope going in was that we'd, we would be in the in the hunt for a playoff spot. And the reason I say that, if you make the playoffs, it's wonderful. But if you're in the hunt, you go through some big-time pressure games down the stretch. And that's healthy for your young team and uh, your franchise. Yeah. 
I have about a minute for this, so I guess I lied. That wasn't the last question. I am curious about, as a goaltender <laughs> yourself, how 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 crucial? Because I, I just listen. I just love the story, and I really like this goaltender. Where do you see Jet Greaves? I love him. I love him. I, this guy. Here's a quick story because I know you're running out of time. But we had a function early in the season, yeah. And all the team was there with their wives and spouses, everything, right? Girlfriends. And Jet came over to my wife and myself and sat down. And this is one respectful young man. And he started talking about goaltending, and he wanted to know what made all the goaltenders that I've seen over my 50 years, how they worked, how good were they, what did they do, what was so good about them, uh, why does Mike Richter, what yeah. about Dominic Hoshik, what about Patrick Waugh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he, he, he tries to get better every single day of the week. No question about it. And he's had a great year in Cleveland again, played in the All-Star game, yes. was very good there. Yes. And so... I just love the guy. I absolutely love the guy. I'm pulling for him. He's about six one. I wish he was six five, but you know what? He may overcome that too. <laughs> this kid is—he's driven, 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 and I—I'm uh, pulling for him to make it. I just—I love the guy. The- they all can't be like you and the Rangers Nets, uh, JD. They all can't be like you. Yeah, it's a big. I had, I had problems with the five hole, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's yeah. uh, listen. It's uh, it was a different style of play back then, JD. It yeah. was a, a, yeah, they've they've sure. sort of whether it's the equipment or the style, they've sort of worked on how to how, yeah. to, how to seal up that five <laughs> hole. Um, JD, yeah. always a pleasure. Okay. I know it's a big task and a lot okay. of work ahead. We uh, we wish you the best in Columbus. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. All the best. Oh, yeah, thank you. And 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 yeah. by the by the way, JD, thank you so yeah. much because in the the course of this, the course of this program, no one has ever used the word malarkey, and I really miss it, and I really oh. like it. So thank you for that, JD, for classing <laughs> oh, it up a little bit and using the word you're, malarkey. You're aging me, aging me. All right, take care. <laughs> See you. Thanks, John. There he is, JD. Uh, John Davidson is the interim general manager and the uh, director of hockey operations uh, for the uh, president of hockey operations. I apologize for the Columbus. Blue Jackets. Big task ahead there. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. What we do on Fridays here is we outline, you know, one of the Hockey Night in Canada games. Uh, and tomorrow, this one looks to be a absolute beauty. It's the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. So it's Rick Tockett against Rick Bonus. Part of the program, I think maybe in the pregame, maybe somewhere during this game, uh, we'll air part of the interview that Elliot and I did with Rick Tockett and Rick Bonus. Trust me, and it has nothing to do with me and Elliot, and it's all about the two coaches. Uh, they really delivered. Here's the deals. Here's the deal. Uh, the total in this one has gone under in seven of Winnipeg's last eight games. Winnipeg, two and five straight up in their last seven. Vancouver, two and nine straight up in their last 11. Games when playing at home against the Winnipeg Jets. The total has gone under in four of Vancouver's last six games. This one is your nightcap matchup on Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow. The Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Two intriguing teams come trade deadline time. I really do wonder if Vancouver, uh, Winnipeg, who've now made the Sean Monahan move, if Kevin Cheveldayoff remains silent or quiet going into and coming out of trade deadline. Uh, but not so much Vancouver. There's still probably at least one more move to make uh, for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford. In the meantime, these two teams clash on Hockey Night Saturday. It's the Vancouver Canucks and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we are hitting pause here on the program. Hour two is on the horizon. Sam Cosentino uh, stops by in a couple of seconds. Very much looking forward to that. His draft rankings uh, are out at sportsnet.ca. Spoiler, Macklin Celebrini is still on top. He's going to be like Bedard, right? He's going to go wire to wire. That's going to be no surprise to anyone. Anyway, Sammy Cause coming up in a moment. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. Back in a moment. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, Hour 2 on this Friday afternoon, February the 16th. Pleased to be joined by Sam Cosentino, as always. The nice thing about having Sam on is you can go anywhere with Sam Cosentino, whether it's NHL 
or in this case, we'll start by talking about prospects and we'll see where we go. Sammy's latest rankings, the February edition, available now at sportsnet.ca. Prepare yourself, folks. He has Macklin Celebrini at number one. Coming to as a shock to nobody. How are you, Sam? Doing great, Jeffy. Great to hear from you and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Should be fun, and we'll uh, we'll begin it with Celebrini. And listen, much like last year, wire to wire, bell to bell, stem to stern, it's going to be Macklin Celebrini uh, all the way until we get to uh, to, to, to Las Vegas. Uh, but what is it about Celebrini for people that may have only had a chance to watch him at the World Juniors? Uh, disappointing results, certainly for Team Canada. Um, for people that haven't had a chance to watch him at BU, the Bean Pod, previous Chicago Steel, etc., uh, what should they know about Macklin Celebrini? And, and where did where like give us some context here for our viewers and listeners? Like, is he a Bedard type? Is he a McDavid type? Is he an Eichel type? Like, where would you put Macklin Celebrini? So first off, it, it's the he plays a really mature game. So what does that mean? Well, okay, you're looking at his goal scoring. He's almost a goal per game in college as a 17 year old, which that that's in an entire level by itself. But a complete game, meaning that away from the puck, he knows where to position himself. Defensively, he's aware. So it's not a guy who's cheating offense at all. He's playing in his own zone. He has the ability to break pucks out, break pucks in, um, and not to mention the offensive skill set that he brings. He's one of those guys who has a a nice marriage of will and skill. And when you have that type of skill Mm -hmm. that he has – and put it with the will to be the best, kind of like McDavid and McKinnon and all the other top guys you've seen, you get a player who's really good. Like To, to be almost a goal per game at college at that age, is it's unheard of. We saw Adam Fantilli do some of it last year, but Fantilli was, was a late birthday, yep. a little bit older. So that changes the conversation just a little bit. Um, but he has been lights out from the second he walked into BU from him playing in the bean pot, which is a really special thing in the, in the Northeastern area that people aren't exactly familiar with, but it puts a lot of pressure on players. Um, and, and so he's kind of everything like in terms of a guy that I would look at, I, th- I think Sidney Crosby is a good comparison. Now I don't want to put that type of pressure on the young man, but I say Sidney Crosby because we think of Sidney as being a really responsible guy away from the puck a guy who's going to go to to areas that not all the skilled players want to go to, a guy who has the ability to score goals, has the ability to make others around them, win face-offs, and do a variety of things in the game and do them all at a high level. So that would be a a really good comparison for me because of how much of an all-around player he is. You know, let me um, let, let me ask you a philosophical question here. Last year, Connor Bedard. This year, Macklin Celebrini. Twenty twenty six. We're going to all know all about Gavin McKenna. What is it about the West right now and these elite level, you know, first overall draft picks? Like, is there anything that's profoundly changed about development out there? Is it, you know, more of the, uh, you know, hockey-specific academies? Like, what is it about the West right now that's just cranking out these elite-level future first overalls in the NHL? It's been kind of, it's timed out well for the West. So, and and I do agree with some of of where things have gone with the academy programs, and we'll get to that in a sec. But if you look at Bedard, you know, granted exceptional status. That hadn't happened before in the Western Hockey League. So, the timing of him coming into the league was pretty good, right? You think about Celebrini. Well, he is a, a sports school guy, but at Shattuck St. Mary's, not necessarily playing, no. um, you know, in, you know, the edge school or one of the schools you see out in BC, the, the rank Academy or Okanagan hockey Academy that have all become pretty famous here. So the timing for him was, Hey, Shattuck St. Mary's. And that was his sort of thing. So, as we look at uh, Gavin McKenna and moving forward, I do think that there is a lot to be said. And this shifted. I, I think I was in the Western Hockey League doing their 2019 draft, uh, Jeffy. And okay. so at that time, one of the big conversation pieces was, wow, look at all the first rounders. I think there was 13 of them, or maybe even more than that, that were coming out of sports-specific schools. So that's become really, really popular at West. St. Andrews in the Ontario area is starting to get that reputation yep. for that. You know, Ridley College to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. but we're starting to see that. 
Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it because players specialize at a young age. Parents have tons and tons of money to send their their kids to these schools, and these schools build in hockey as part of the curriculum. So um, I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Now, are they as well-rounded athletes? No. Can the catchers catch pucks anymore? No, because they don't play baseball or do anything else. <laughs> so, so there is, there is, you know, there's, there's some drawbacks to it, right? Like you have two sport kids, right, yeah. Jeffy? You have two yeah, sport oh, I do. kids. Yeah, hockey and baseball. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think your baseball players are better because they play hockey, and I think your sons who are hockey players are better yes. because they play baseball. And I and I know they both do both. Totally but, true. But the point is, yep. they're better athletes because they do both things, and I feel the same way about my guy. Yeah, it's it, it. It really is remarkable. And the older that I get, and the more that I go through it with uh, with these kids, um, you start you, you see it. Like at the at the end of it, I think it's a whole bigger conversation about you know building athletes versus building you know sports specific players. Um, it is the athletes that can play multi sport that ultimately succeed quicker. It it really is. It's it's just true. That can play a number of different sports and compete at a high level with a number of different sports. Those are the ones that develop faster. So here, here, here becomes one of my uh, other questions, and you, you, you mentioned this in your your piece at Sportsnet.ca. So after the top prospects game, I put out that you know coming up, the top mm-hmm. prospect team will be a thing of the past. Looking at a two-game series between top players in the CHL uh, versus their counterparts in the United States. Um, I would imagine, again, I don't have details on this yet nailed down, so this one I'm sort of just feeling out. I would imagine it would make sense to do a two-game series, one in Plymouth and one in Windsor. Maybe that's the way you uh, you, you do this one. Uh, but you write about the scouts and how they feel about going from the top prospects game to more of a challenge like this. What seems to be consensus, Sam? The consensus is for sure that. So it was funny. I was in the Moncton airport after the CHL NHL top prospects game, and you tweeted that out. And, you know, me still yeah. being a dinosaur and not on Twitter, I think they call it X now is what they tell me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so a bunch of the scouts were showing me, hey, did you see this? <laughs> you know, did you see this? And I said, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, you've been hearing a little bit about some of that maybe uh, taking place, but that's really cool. And so guys were super excited yeah. because – Listen, and this is not to be disparaging against the USHL, but the All-American, uh, the Chipotle All-American game that they had, it just doesn't cut it. They're yeah. rushing players in. They're not putting the resources into making it a really good experience for players and for scouts. And they're not putting their players in the best position to succeed. Not to mention, as I mentioned in my article, they had a number, more than a handful of players that aren't even draft eligible. So scouts don't want to see that. They want to go see yeah. 40 guys who they can draft. If they're second yeah. or third year through, well, if, if the talent pool gets short enough for first-year draft eligibles, then they would extend it to second- and third-year players that are going through the draft. But if you narrow it down to 20 from the CHL and 20 from the USHL slash under-18 program, you're going to find 20 guys yep. that are first-year draft eligible, that are the cream of the crop, and inherently you build in that competition. That was the other thing. It seemed to me the feedback was that the All-American game, everyone was buddy-buddy hugging each other. It was more like... a looked like an NHL all-star game, three-on-three. Whereas the CHL top prospect team, you know, there wasn't any fights, and no one really got got creamed in terms of hits, but it was highly, highly competitive, and there was a lot of body contact and meaningful body contact in in that game. So if you can take the best Mm -hmm. of both worlds, um, and I, in my opinion, would allow the CHL to be the lead on this in terms of setting up the program, Here's what it's going to look like. Here's when the testing is going to happen. Here's when the media interviews are going to take place. Here's when the game's going to happen. You, you get a smorgasbord for, yeah. for all the scouts to go in one place. Okay, maybe they have to drive between Windsor and Plymouth, for example, and, and, and get competitive games, get all the scouting, uh, all the testing results, and also allow people like myself and, and the media to hunker down and get some of the stories going on what we like to tell the background stories by interviewing the players during that time. Yep. Do you think this will be eye-opening for Canada and Canadian hockey fans? Well, listen, the U.S. is, is, you know, have they arrived? Well, they're not far, but they're coming like a freight train. And, and, you know, this year at the U.S. Under-18 program, it's a down year in terms of high-end draft-eligible prospects one to maybe three go in in the first round. It's a down year, but we've seen a pretty good run from the U.S. and what they're doing at grassroots level and how they're offering 
families low-cost options to get involved in the game are all things that I think Hockey Canada should be taking a look at. Having said that, Jeff, Hockey Canada's focus has been somewhere else, and it's been somewhere else for a long time and in a bad place that hasn't allowed Hockey Canada to focus on as much as the hockey as what the circus is off ice. And I think when things um, come to an end, at least with the 2018 situation, and that could be a couple of years, I think only at that point is Hockey Canada going to be able to move forward on a hockey front to see what our neighbors south of the border are doing. And I think, I think that's the right way to go about it. I think Hockey Canada should have all of its focus on what's happened in, in, in 2018 and, and really do its very best moving forward um, to make sure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen again. Amen to that. Um, okay, I do want to get to your rankings here. So we mentioned Macklin Celebrini off the top of this conversation. Like, that's the, uh, that, that's the two-foot putt. That's the layup. Um, but then after that, it, it feels as if, and, and you write about this, um, there's going to be a run on defensemen. How would you handicap it? And, you know, the player that I've seen the most here is Sam Dickinson with the London mm-hmm. Knights. Uh, watched him play with the Marlboros at the uh, Hockey Factory in Toronto. Uh, him and his Marlies would, uh, where Marlboros would skate before my kids would skate. So I got a chance to watch a lot of Sam Dickinson growing up. Lev Shinoff, I've seen a little bit at Michigan State, um, but that's about it. How would you handicap this next sort of run on defenseman after Celebrini? It's going to be really nice for scouts to have options of what they would like. So what's the big thing in the NHL right now? Tall, rangy defensemen who are really tough to get around yep. and who are good in the PK. Anton Salaev brings you that at 6'7", 211 pounds. Because he, he looks kind of like um, Zadorov, where earlier in the year he was putting up some points in the KHL. That has seemingly backed off a little bit. But his ability to skate, handle the puck in tight areas, and use his reach to defend are really good. So do you want one of those guys that's hot in the NHL right now? I have him at number two for that reason. Mm-hmm. Levshinov is more of a two-way guy. He leans a little bit more towards the offensive side, but he's got really good feet. He can, he can bump you a little bit. Saw it last week in the, in the Michigan-Michigan State game in Ann Arbor. Um, and, ha- and leans offense. So you have a two-way guy who leans offense who plays with a bit of bump. Cool. Dickinson isn't the most aggressive guy for his size. I think scouts would like to see more of that come out of him. But in terms of his skating, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's beautiful. It's graceful. It's, it's super smooth. His ability to play in all kinds of situations, including three-on-three overtime, power play, penalty kill, move pucks, skate pucks out. He does all of those things, and his foundation is skating. You move down the list. Yakimchuk, 24 goals at the Calgary Hitman this year. That's second only to Zane Parekh. But he's a guy who's got forward-like hands, who's big, plays with a bit of bump in his game, but leans heavy offense, less on the defensive side. So is that a guy you like? Zeb Bullion playing at the University of Denver, doing things that freshman defensemen don't ever do, is the guy who displays more of a two-way game, kind of like Levshinov. And then you go down to Zane Parekh, who looks like Eric Carlson to me. So you can sit there as a scout and not only address a positional need at a premium position, but you can address an organizational need as well. The big guy, the puck-moving guy, the heavy offensive guy, the two-way guy. There's lots of options for you out there. So that's what's pretty cool about the next nine to go after Celebrini. You have a number of defensemen and a variety of them there as well. What do you, um, and you have him just outside your top 10, what do you make of Jerome Aginla's son, Tij Aginla? Plays with the Kelowna Rockets. He's in at number 11. Shoots the puck like his dad, has um, not as straight line as that, a little bit more east-west, a little bit more deception to his game, head fakes, shoulder fakes, uses um, you know good quick stick and, and the, the ability to fake guys out with the, with the head and the shoulders. So uh, a little bit more east-west, and that's from growing up in the hockey mm-hmm. academy, being coached by his dad, but shoots it like his dad, so that's a sure. cool element. Skates well, no problem there. So he's a, he's a fascinating guy to me because – you know, when you look at the forwards in this group, Konsta Hellenius a little bit smaller. Um, you got Demidov. You have the Russian factor with him. Is he going to come over? Is he going to be allowed to come over? So, Aginla has every opportunity, I think, to be the next forward off the board after Celebrini if that's the way you want to go. 
I, I, he, he's a fascinating guy to me, but there's no doubt he's had a meteoric rise this mm-hmm. year, Jeff. And from a guy who really wasn't on, uh, you know, first-round projections at the start of the year, he's now very much in the top yeah. half of the first round. Let me ask you about David Yurchek's brother here. Um, I know there's an injury factor as well, but Adam Yurchek, you know, just talking to John Davidson before he came on, and we were talking about some of the prospects that uh, they have, and this has been a uh, an interesting year for David Yurchek. I mean, he believes that he should be like, you know, whether it's Kevin Korczynski or Nemich in, in New Jersey, you know, playing full-time in the NHL, but he's, you know, back and forth between, you know, AHL Cleveland and uh, NHL Columbus. Uh, what's the brother like? What can you tell us about Adam? He's a, he's a little bit different. I, I think very highly of David. I, like I think he's going to be a you know a top pairing guy here in the National Hockey League because he he can do it all. And his brother is sort of like you would expect a younger brother to be in in kind of normal society. He's, he's like his brother light, so he can work the blue line pretty good. He's smart and knows how to make plays. He has a bit of escapability to his game. Uh, he defends with no issues at all. But it's for me, nothing really, really jumps off the page. Whereas with Juracek, you could see how aggressive he was, how hard he shot the puck, mm-hmm. his ability to find lanes. Like with David, you could, you could see that that difference. And so for Adam, he had a lot of currency as a as a younger player playing against older competition. But I think he's lost some of that currency because of what's happened with the injury this year. And viewings I had of him before he got injured had me wondering a little bit, like, you know, what, what is this guy going to be? I think with David, it was very clear what you could project mm-hmm. out of him. With Adam, for me, it's not as clear. Um, levels and drop-offs. How do you see this year's draft? Like, clearly, after Celebrini, there's a drop. When do the other drops happen here? I, I'm going to go on that 20 to 22 range. Um, and after that, then, then I think there's a bit of a drop-off, and then there's going to be things that uh, scouts are going to look at and say, we really like this particular element of a player, but there uh, is something that we're not so high on. So, for example, a guy who shoots the puck extremely well, but his skating is a little bit off, or a guy who's a super right. playmaker, but his skating's a little off. You know, so... I, I think that happens between the, the 20 and maybe 23 range, somewhere in there. Um, obviously, there's still going to be good players, and there's going to be guys who pop uh, that go later in the draft. Mm-hmm. But when you assess the first round, for me, that's where I see a drop-off, and that's why we've already seen two first-round picks that are projected to be in the lower uh, 10 uh, yeah. of 32 or have already been dealt. Well, that, and that's what I was going to get at here with you, too. Like, what is the value of a first-round pick this year in the draft? Because here we are, trade deadline on the horizon, three weeks away. And, you know, we we understand why the Rangers don't want to let go of their uh, first-round pick. That's where we're going to be in, in Las Vegas. That's their sphere. Um, yeah. But, like, other teams, I mean, the Maple Leafs are trying to hold on to theirs, certainly. But, like, what is the value of a first-round pick this year? maybe compared to last year, the Connor Bedard draft class. Like, how would you categorize the value of a first-round pick this year? That's always an interesting conversation because the team that's getting rid of it is sitting there saying, you know what, we don't feel that confident about a bottom 10 pick, so we're happy to move off that pick. And the team that acquires that pick, you know, Calgary, uh, and in the case of Montreal, the Canadians, they're saying, hey, extra mm-hmm. dart at the dartboard. We know there's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, of a drop-off here, but we're happy to take that extra dart. And what teams can do when they have that additional pick is look for that one specific element that they think pops that is NHL-ready right now and maybe try and hit a home yeah. run with a player that people don't expect to have done those things based on what we've seen throughout his junior or, or younger college career. So. Um, when I when I look at that situation, though, so Toronto to me is in a really interesting spot. Toronto looks to me like it's going to be a wild card team. So where does that place their pick? Probably inside of twenty. So that pick probably is going to have additional value for the team making the acquisition. Where if I look at the New York Rangers, well, you know, are they going to win the Metropolitan? If not, they'll probably finish second. That pick then probably sits in the in the lower ten. And at that point, you'd be willing to move off it. I know the Rangers are a different example because yeah. of the sphere and their owner wanting to keep that pick. Um, but Carolina might be the, the team that you'd say, uh, yeah, they'd be willing to move off it in a certain situation because of that and acquire a bunch of picks down the road. That's been their MO 
since Eric Tulski's been there. Yeah, we'll move off of this one, but if we're going to get something, yeah. we're also going to make sure we get a third or a fourth or an extra dart down further down in the draft if we're moving off our first. Yeah. Let me uh, let me ask you about rookies this year around the NHL. Uh, off the uh, off the prospects list here for a second, and Connor Bedard returns last night. Gorgeous pass on the on the Chicago goal. Crosby's Penguins end up winning. Crosby with two goals. Uh, so Bedard is back. So that means you know the the Calder race now has him back in it. Um, he's played 40 games. Brock Faber's played 53. Marco Rossi's played 53 as well. Adam Fantilli 49. Luke Hughes 53. From what you've seen so far, do you put Connor Bedard so far away from the Fabers and the Rossies and the Fantillies that now that he's back, uh, we're back to saying it's not a conversation for the Calder? Or is Brock Faber or maybe Marco Rossi making this complicated? Our show tonight is going to ask us what our trophy tracker looks like. I'm going to have Bedard as the rookie of the year, and he's just going to get more confident playing in that fishbowl as, as time goes on here for as long as he has to wear it. But it's not quite the runaway train you'd expect had he been playing those extra mm-hmm. 13 games that Brock Faber has. Jeff, I always look at defensemen and I say, it's really difficult to play that position at a young age. It's really difficult to be a point getter as a defenseman at that age. It's really difficult to log the kind of minutes he has, like 24, 25 minutes per game like Faber's been playing, and still be a a capable enough defender to be able to be put in the ice in those situations. So he's the guy I'd be looking at at next for that. I mean, I've loved Marco Rossi since he was with the Ottawa 67s. We know about the the long-term COVID that's been, been a struggle, but Jeff, how lucky are we? I mean, you watch all these guys, Connor Zary. Awesome. Like he's been great. Not, not as good last night. Unfortunately, Luke Hughes, uh, (laughs) Leo Carlson, you know, I hear Ryan Strom talking about Leo Carson. This guy you know, almost sounds like he's the next coming of Gretzky, how highly he spoke of him. Minchikov, yep. you know, Ridley Gregg, he's a bit of a circus, but still, Matthew Nemich. Nyes. How Nemich. about Will Cooley? Like, I didn't see Will Cooley doing what he's doing with, with yeah. the Rangers this year. So it's it's awesome to see these guys having the kind of kind of year that they're, that they're having. We're lucky to be blessed in the game with so many young players who are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw you talking about that on Wednesday, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. Where do you put Simon Nemec in that conversation with the New Jersey Devils? I mean, we talk a lot about Luke Hughes and the future of the blue line. Man, Nemec has looked really good, Sammy. Yeah, well, he's a guy that people are going to be asking about, and I'm sure that's what New uh, Calgary and Craig Conroy have asked for in return for Markstone <laughs> because we know that those talks have been happening, and I'm sure Tom Fitzgerald's yeah. saying, yeah, bark up a different tree, uh, Mr. Rookie GM. You're not going down that road. Yeah, I... Again, I, I'm such a fan of, of his for his all-around game. And again, a guy who doesn't mind playing physically, he's got this real good, quiet confidence about him. He's a player who plays with poise, uh, skates really well, shoots pucks. Like, you know, there's a lot of different elements he brings to the game. And when you think about him and Luke Hughes going down the road here for the years to come, my goodness, what a, what a nice situation for the Jersey Devils to be in for sure. Yeah, listen, um, the Hughes family, uh, we've talked a lot about Jack. We've talked a lot about Quinn. We're talking a lot about Luke now as well. Um, when you, I mean, you've been there for, I don't want to say like the very beginnings of, of their careers, but I mean, you go back, like way, way back, uh, following and watching and scouting uh, the Hughes family. What do you see now? Like, were there moments, because they're all super skilled, all would dominate their leagues, whether it's Quinn or whether it's Luke or whether it's Jack. I mean, Jack is on a different planet right now by way of marketability yeah. and personality. Quinn Hughes is on his way to winning the Norris, and, you know, Luke Hughes is, um, you know, one of the best young defensemen in the, the entire NHL. Based on what you saw before with the family and what you see now, what comes to mind? And I'm not sure if you saw the, the comments last night from... Uh, from Jack Hughes, which I absolutely love, telling Victor Arvidsson, people pay to watch me play. Your thoughts on Jack, <laughs> Luke, and Quinn Hughes? <laughs> They're all different, so that's cool. They're all ridiculously competitive. That's cool. They're all ridiculously talented. Yeah. That's cool. But I remember, you know, Jim was, was such a, a, a great person for me to be able to to talk to you know, with his time in the American Hockey League and with the Toronto Maple Leafs, just about player development and, and just shoot the breeze about hockey. 
And I remember like Jack and and Luke hanging around while Quinn was was the guy making his way up through the Marlies. And one thing I'll never forget is the OHL Cup that, that Quinn played in. He drove basically yep. with his equipment on back from the under seventeen tryout in Plymouth in the US. Yeah. So that's like a four, four and a half hour drive to get to downtown to Toronto. But the U.S., yep. I think, strategically planned that and wanted to make sure that Quinn was going to be in attendance, and they didn't oh, really yeah. care about what was happening in his GTHL career at that time. But he came back, and he played, and he was a yeah. stud in that game. And that's what I remember. The dedication of the family to excellence has never, ever wearied, uh, uh, you know, wavered. Never. And that comes from Ellen as well. Don't kid yourself. She's kind of like the sleeping bear in that family. Yeah. yeah and uh, has helped facilitate three awesome kids who all have different personalities. I've really come to love Jack, like, a lot. And, and I remember a good story about him oh, in, yeah. in his draft year, about sitting at the Combine with him and, and Zegers and Caulfield and Turcotte. And we were talking about, hey, you guys look at the rankings. And I went around the table, and everyone's, ah, no, we don't look at it, but you can't help but see it sometimes. And, and Jack says, no, I don't look at the <laughs> rankings, but I saw you had me second last month. And I thought, wow, that is like, that is Jack Hughes to a T, man. That's, that was awesome. And, yeah. you know, the stuff he said, listening to him on your podcast, watching him in the commercial, how he carries himself, he, he's a cool cat. He's great. Like, when I grew up, I yeah. think I want to be Jack Hughes. Uh, we'll never grow up as long as we're involved in the hockey. We all know that by now, Sammy. Let me, um, you know, I, I am curious. Well, one quick question. I mean, you were right there uh, when it happened, or in this case, it didn't happen. I mean, that was, I mean, Jack Hughes uh, applied for but was denied exceptional status into the OHL. Uh, Graham Clark, I believe, applied as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And also Tag Bertuzzi, Todd Bertuzzi's kid, who was playing at Oakland's at that point, all three were rejected. Now I've had people in the OHL tell me that because they didn't allow Jack Hughes in, that it cost them Owen power in the OHL as well, because he might've applied at some point, but nonetheless, retrospectively, do you think the OHL should have granted Jack Hughes exceptional status? Yes. But you know, I think there's a lot to that as well, Jeff. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. layers to that conversation. Like, say you accept the guy and he says, no, I'm going to go to the program anyways. I'm going to go to the U.S. program anyways. That's not a good luck, right? So, good point. And, and good point. I'm not saying that that's what would have happened, but obviously that option, you know, mm-hmm. he was obviously a big proponent of the program and Jim was living in Ann Arbor with Ellen and, you know, it was a, it, it was a pretty good setup for those guys to, to be able to go there, for, for Jack to go there. Um, the other part yeah. of it is, you know, like you have to be, I would have to say that the Hughes probably left the door open. And I think the CHL and the OHL in particular would have wanted a commitment if, if a player is applying and they want that player to commit. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not necessarily sure that that was the case at that time. So you have to be considerate of that. The other part of that is, and, and I'll go back to Sean Day. The big rumors about Sean Day were he was granted exceptional status because he had dual citizenship, and they felt that if they granted him the status, yeah. that he would play for Canada play in for international Canada. events, Yeah. right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm not so sure Jack Hughes, or actually where he was born, um, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure of that, but there would have been a lean there that if – you know, and, and also the rule, too, is, Jeff, where you, something to do with your minor hockey. Like, I'm not completely up to speed on those rules. So had he said, hey, I'm going to commit and play for Canada because he was allowed, that might have changed the conversation there a little bit, too. And, again, I, he might not have been eligible. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but I think there's a right. lot of layers to that conversation rather than just saying, hey, let's give this guy exceptional status. He would have came. He would have been a star in the Ontario Hockey League, which he would have been. You know, it might not have ever come to fruition anyways. Excellent points uh, and great rankings. Uh, Sam Cosentino's February rankings now available uh, for your perusal uh, at sportsnet.ca. Sammy, always good, man. Have yourself a great weekend, pal. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Take care. 
There is the great Sam Cosentino. Draft rankings, as I mentioned, available right now. Let's uh, hit a break. We're going to come back and talk to a Stanley Cup champion and a uh, consultant for the St. Louis Blues and a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning Hall of Fame. Uh, inductee Brad Richards joins me as America Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you listen to podcasts. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Going to finish up the program today and to finish up the program this week by talking to someone who is a uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion. He's a St. Louis Blues team consultant and a Tampa Bay Lightning Hall of Fame inductee. I would love to welcome to the program here the one and only Brad Richards. Brad, how are you today? Thanks so much for hopping on today. Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, the, the the pleasure is mine. First of all, congratulations uh, on the nod. I mean, this goes back to, to November, and uh, I spoke to Dave Andrewchuk not too long ago about it. Uh, I love the teams do uh, individual Hall of Fames. You're a no-brainer. Uh, Conn Smythe Trophy, Stanley Cup champion, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, where were you when you heard the news? Uh, well, we lived down in Florida, and uh, they actually had my kids do a big uh, surprise for me. The Lightning did so. I got home from I can't I don't know where I was, but uh, they all were waiting for me with signs, and that's how I found out. When you uh, certainly look back at your career, the the Stanley Cup is going to stand out uh, as it relates to to the Tampa Bay Lightning. But but other than that, like sometimes moments that you don't even realize are going to turn into big moments later in your life turn out to be those biggest moments. When you look back at your career with Tampa, what are some of the things that that jump out to you, Brad? Well, I mean, a lot of firsts. Right? I got drafted there, uh, my first training camp there, my first game there, uh, first goal, first assist, you know, all that stuff, first win, first playoffs. So, um, you know, it, it kind of went through the whole process. And uh, to be able to win with guys that you kind of started really young and um, grow together and win was very special also. Um, you know, I spent pretty much half my career there, which uh, is hard to believe it's so long ago, mm-hmm. but... Um, just all great memories and uh you know to see how well it's turned into a great hockey place to play and um it was so different from when we started but to see it all like this now it's uh it's a very very fun place to go back and see all your uh, buddies and memories you know, you're bang on because, you know, Tampa's become one of the, the marquee franchises in the NHL, has been for a long time. Uh, you were there as part of the uh, the foundation, the base of all of this. Uh, this culminating in a Stanley Cup uh, championship, certainly. Uh, but take us back to 2000 when you first showed up in Tampa. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, what were your expectations? How did it feel? I mean, it's much different now. Tampa is, you know, a, a Cadillac franchise around the NHL. But what was it like back in, in 2000? Yeah, I mean, it, I knew nothing about um, Tampa when I got drafted, going to my training camps. It just seemed, uh, well, training camps just seemed very hot and uh, humid and kind of like not, didn't feel like hockey, didn't have a hockey buzz around it. You know, you'd play with other junior teammates or going to different training camps, maybe going to Montreal or Toronto or bigger market cities. And Tampa obviously is a lot different, you know, than in between face-offs, they'd be explaining what icing was on the Jumbotron. and It was a really different market. Right. and um, You had to do a lot as a player, and the PR had us out doing a lot of things. That, and when you're young, that's fine. And you didn't really know what was going on or why you are doing it. But, uh, you know, when you look back now, you know, you had to do that, and you had to get involved with the community. And, uh, and then you had to start winning. And uh, we were lucky enough to have a good nucleus there and good coaching, good GMs, and got us in the right path and that really helped and now they're yeah now obviously they're they're winning a lot so uh the fan base loves it and then uh, mm. a lot of kids a lot of new, new rinks have been sprung up and there was nothing but you know there's one rink where we went and practiced uh if the stadium is being used and now there's tons of different i'm on my way there now with my son for a hockey tournament so uh it's come a long way and it's a total different feel and uh you know i didn't know any different but it just didn't feel like felt more like hockey playing yeah. where I did in Rabuski than it did in Tampa. Um, but it got there <laughs> once the season started. It was, it was a 
you know, it was you're playing against NHL players. It felt a lot different, but it took a while to get that buzz. How how quickly did you get used to and enjoy the idea of going to the rink in shorts and flops? Yeah, I mean, kind of just what what became normal. Um, uh, once the once the winter started, you know, the winter when I say winter, but when it, you know the humidity is gone and it's just yeah. beautiful and seventy five degrees every day, you know, you kind of wow. If we have a day off, this is kind of nice and no one's bothering you and and uh, especially when you started getting a little better, you didn't have to worry about. You wanted to go fishing or go hit some golf balls. No one cared. It was just kind of you do what you want when you're not at the rink, and, and you get used to that. And it, sure. it's a, I, I know now why it's a it's an attractive place to, to play in the south, and you know some of it's attractive. You know, I, I had that, and then I kind of wanted to get up north to original six and see what that felt like too. So it can go both ways, but sure. I think uh, if you have a family and you want to get away, it's a very nice lifestyle when you can uh, do both. With Brad Richards on the Jeff Merrick Show. Um, curious about John Tortorella. So you show up there in Tampa, and, you know, one of your first coaches is John Tortorella. And, uh, man, have we ever spent a lot of time talking about torts, and we still are now with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, do you remember your earliest impressions of John Tortorella when you first got there? Well, we got there at the same time, basically. He was assistant coach my rookie year to start with Steve Ludwig. Yep was the head coach and got fired uh, sometime in January. Um, as, a, as an assistant coach, Torch was very quiet, um, very engaging with, you know, he was running the power play and, you know, just a different, he had a total different, I, I felt like he was sitting back watching and analyzing. Um, I said very, very quiet, stoic. And then uh, he took over and obviously once he was the boss, things changed quickly and, he put his uh, fingerprints on it real quick, uh, and it was great for great for the organization. Tampa, who was kind of uh, you know floundering way down there, not a lot going on. A lot of veterans kind of going down and retiring. And there was no real pressure to win. Or, um, he put he instilled that in the organization real quick, and, and he made it he made it you know uh, part of uh, your duty to start representing the Lightning professionally and. and um, our training camps got really hard real quick and, and just the whole tone, everything changed. And, uh, and you know, that guy, he put, he's doing it and still does it. He's doing it in Philly now, you know, and when he gets a young team, he put his stamp on it. it it's amazing how quickly uh, these young guys will buy in and uh, start playing very hard for him. With Brad Richards, you know, Brad, I, I always enjoyed talking to Jay Feaster. Uh, enjoyed talking to him back then. Still enjoy talking to Jay Feaster. Uh, successful at the American Hockey League, winning a Calder, and uh, successful at the NHL level as well, uh, helping be uh, one of the architects of the uh, the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning as well. What was your relationship like with Jay Feaster? Jay was great. Jay, uh, Jay was uh, very friendly to the players. Uh, you know, he kind of let Torch do the do the hard hard uh, talks or you know the the prank talks or the you know um, behind the scenes with you know getting at people. And Jay was very uh, friendly, and you know he had his ups and downs, uh, you know winning and losing. He wasn't wasn't uh, you know smiling after losses, but he was a lot uh, sure. a lot more gentle, I guess, to approach. And uh, he was great. I mean, he he was. Uh, you know, I, I, at that point, I didn't know anything about management and all that, but he uh, it, it worked good. Him and Torts and Bill Barber, they they did a great job of adding what we needed to down there and on a very small, tight budget. Mm. Um, you know, it's amazing if you look back what we were competing against uh, in some of the budgets, and, and we still put a team together to, to compete. So they did a great job and uh, you know, with limited resources and um, just a great person to work for. You know, you're being inducted uh, into the Tampa Bay Lightning Hall of Fame along with Dave Andrichuk, and we've, you know, heard a lot of stories about, you know, a lot of, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning players just sort of, I don't know if in awe is, is too strong a term, but, you know, really learned a lot from Andrichuk. I mean, how could you not, you know, that veteran coming into the room? Uh, what did Brad Richards learn from Dave Andrichuk? What did you take away from your experiences with him? I learned a lot. I mean, uh, again, we talked about I was drafted in Tampa, and Tampa didn't have a historic franchise like going to Montreal and seeing veterans and 
jerseys and, and the Raptors and all that where you can lean on people. So when Dave King, who's kind of the first bonafide veteran that was going to go in the Hall of Fame and 600 goals, so, you know, and as Canadians, we I remember watching Hunting Gilmore in the early 90s with the Leafs and all those runs they made. And yeah. He actually looked near the guy and, and uh, looked up to him and said, okay, this is a, a real professional that's been around a long time and done a lot of things. So, you know, he had instant credibility, I guess, with us and the young guys. And, uh, you know, he was very, very willing to let young guys be around him. And, and uh, you know, whether it was go out to dinner or go for a round of golf on an off day or whatever, there was never, there was never an age uh, difference to him. It was just, yeah, come with me or come hang out or come over to the house or join us for dinner on the road. It made it very easy, kind of like a big brother, and uh, you could bounce stuff off, and especially when it got, there was always going to be some tough tough weeks with torts and, and uh, how he was doing things. So it, it was great to have Dave kind of lean on and, and uh, be there for us in the locker room. Uh, a couple more for you, then I'll let you get on to the tournament here with uh, with your son. Um, you always seem to me to be the player that never panicked. Like, I never saw panic in your game at all. You always seem very cool and very composed. What were you like inside? Like, what? Like were there things that made you, like, stress and panic on the ice? Because you never, it never looked from this, you know, from this vantage point. Like, you, you panicked about anything, Brad. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to lie to you. Me, me in my mind was always waiting or, or, uh, you know, if things weren't going good and, uh, cold street, that's when my mind was going. When I got in the ice, I kind of, kind of let it go. It was, it was a lot easier to be out there and try to figure it out, I guess. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, that was always my demeanor. I don't think I ever got too high or too low. Um, I think my, you know, if I look back on any, would have, I wish I would have done a better job in the low points than I, did in high points if, if there was anything I could have done mentally better but I think on the ice if I not I, I didn't have the best speed I wasn't the tallest guy I had to kind of slow it down and be calm and, and kind of do it try to get the puck and do it my way and, and uh, as best mm-hmm. I could and, and that was probably my demeanor um, the way I played also okay last question for you what kind of hockey dad are you I don't know what I am because I got, for some reason, I got a goalie, so I'm not sure how to handle this. Um, most nerve-wracking <laughs> I've ever been. Uh, you, uh, see, every That's true. looks at you if a goal goes in. <laughs> so um, I'm on the bench. Uh, I started being on the bench, so I'm trying to trying to do as much as I can with the D so I can uh, protect my son and get them blocking shots for me. Um, and that's fun. These guys, are, uh, these guys are a lot of fun to be around, and they're all 10 and under, and they love the game. They love, uh, they love the NHL. Awesome. You know, see them, they're so much more exposed, get so much more content than we did at, at that year's, the, that age. You know, I, I'd see Hockey Night yep. in Canada on Saturday nights in the odd TSN highlight maybe uh, before school, but that was it. And now they... They pretty much can yeah. watch whatever they want, and uh, they see so much. So it's fun to watch their their demeanors. Well, there's a, a special place in heaven for goaltending parents. Uh, I think we all know that by this point. Uh, congratulations uh, on, on the nod. Very much look forward to the, uh, to the induction. Uh, also consultant with the St. Louis Blues. That's another thing on your business card. And goalie dad, which is probably the most important out of all of them. Thanks, Brad. Thanks so much for doing this, and uh, have a wonderful weekend. You be well. All right. Take care, guys. There he is, Brad Richards, uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning Hall of Fame inductee, St. Louis Blues team consultant, and man, was that guy ever smooth and cool. Always loved watching Brad Richards uh, play hockey. I like that Tampa Bay Lightning team a lot. I know for our listeners and viewers in Calgary right now, uh, Game 6, Marty Jelena, did it go in? Why didn't they call a timeout? I don't know. Why get to the face-off circle so fast? Um, oh, the controversy, the controversy. That was a great Stanley Cup final. Uh, and that was, um, you know, certainly highlighted by the uh, Jerome McGinley fight with Vinny LeCavalier. We just talked to Sam Cosentino. Just to make you feel a little bit older, you know, here we are reminiscing about that Tampa team with Brad Richards. And we think back to that Jerome McGinley-Vincent LeCavalier fight in the Stanley Cup final. And then you say to yourself... 
Okay, his son's going to be drafted top 15 this year in the NHL, Tijiginla, who plays with the Kelowna Rockets of the Western Hockey League. Just another reason to all realize that there is an authority of time. We're all getting older. Now Jerome McGinley's son is about to be drafted into the NHL. Uh, okay, so a couple of things here. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, this is an absolutely huge weekend, uh, both on and off the ice around the NHL. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to park a lot of time watching um, Yarmir Yager and the jersey retirement, number 68, going to the rafters. Like, I know that it was awkward getting there and that they had to mend a lot of fences between that organization and that player to get Yager back into the mix. And Phil Bork did a lot of it. He did a lot of the heavy lifting, mending fences, flying to Czech, flying to Czech Republic uh, to go in and talk to Yager and try to convince him and smooth things out and try to thaw the relationship uh, a, a little bit. And now it seems like it's in a really good place. I encourage you, if you get a chance, uh, NHL.com, go read Tom Galuti's uh, interview with Yarmir Yager, which is fascinating. And one of the things that he talks about is actually something that he doesn't talk about. You know, Tom Galuti asks him about, um, well, hang on, let me let me grab this here. Uh, he asks him about the um, uh, his relationship with Mario Lemieux, and he says, essentially, I don't want to talk about that right now. Uh, I'm going to talk about Mario Lemieux on Sunday at the uh, number 68 retirement ceremony. Uh, I just want to be able to to get it all out for the first time at the Jersey retirements. Uh, I miss seeing Yarmir Yager in the NHL. Now, at times, was it awkward? Yeah. I think we all remember the times with the Washington Capitals specifically, where, you know, here's a guy that didn't even want to do line rushes with his line mates and warm up. I think it was a bad time for the Washington Capitals. I think we tend to forget that, by the way. Just as a quick aside, I think we tend to forget just how bad it was with Washington before Ovechkin arrived and completely changed the trajectory of the, of the Washington Capitals. And trust me, it was one of the worst places to be in the NHL pre-Ovechkin. That team was a nightmare, a highly paid nightmare. But nonetheless, that team was an absolute nightmare. And, you know, Yager's reputation uh, really took a pounding for it. Um, you know, he was described as, you know, selfish, not part of the team, just chasing, you know, dollars and cents. That's all this guy is all about at this point. I've always really enjoyed Yager. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, watching him, certainly uh, dealing with him as well. Just as a personality in the game, uh, was, you know, sad to see him leave when he did after the experience with the Calgary Flames. But you watched him play and you said to yourself, well, you know, it's time. You know it's time that, that Yager wrapped it up. So I think that Sunday is going to be just a wonderful celebration. I just hope that both teams come out, you know, energized because these ceremonies, and this will be a lengthy one, uh, you know, one team tends to have the jump on the other. Uh, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Los Angeles Kings, so it has the makings of what could be a good game here. I just hope that both teams don't come out flat on this one. Anyhow. Congratulations to the Pens and Yager. 68 belongs at the top of that rank. Thanks to Brad Richards for stopping by. Sam Cosentino, John Davidson, the interim GM and president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets, and Elliot Friedman. Tonight, the battle on Bay Street, PWHL Montreal facing off against Toronto. Scotiabank Arena setting an attendance record in that one. Stadium Series Saturday and Sunday, and as always, Hockey Night in Canada. Pre-game gets underway 6.30 with your host, Ron McLean. Puck drops just after 7. Have a great weekend. Back Monday for more TJMS. See you then.